Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker. Well, a big political upset. The Liberal Democrat Sarah Green has won the Chesham and Amersham by-election. The Buckinghamshire seat had historically been safe Conservative territory. At the last election, the Tories had a majority of more than 16,000. Well, all that was overturned by Green, who took the seat with a majority of around 8,000 for the Lib Dems. The Tory candidate Peter Fleet described it as an absolutely extraordinary result. And another political headache for Boris Johnson. The new leader of Northern Ireland's DUP, Edwin Poots, is stepping down after only three weeks in the job and just hours after a power-sharing agreement was brokered. It follows anger by some in the DUP about concessions made on Irish language laws. He will remain in post until a successor is chosen. It's just weeks since he initiated the overthrow of the previous DUP leader, Arlene Foster. Well, yesterday, she tweeted, I hope everyone's having a good day. Well, now let's get to the subject of today's special, the government's ambitions for tackling climate change and the reality. Well, a report from the government's own climate advisers this week makes pretty sobering reading. The administration, it says, is failing to protect people from the fast rising risks of the climate crisis, from deadly heat waves to power blackouts. The Climate Change Committee said that action to improve the country's resilience is not keeping pace with the impact of global heating. And they were frustrated by the absolutely illogical lack of sufficient action on adaptation particularly as acting is up to 10 times more cost effective than not doing anything. Well, all this comes ahead, of course, of the UK hosting the latest international conference on climate change, COP26, in Glasgow in a few months' time. So how far do the government's actions mirror their ambitions in actually tackling this issue? Well, joining us, very pleased to say, is Bob Ward, who's Policy and Communications Director at the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment, which is at the London School of Economics. Bob, thanks for being with us. Um, let me ask you then, the G7 meeting last weekend, I'm pretty much confirmed the UK's ambitions, at least, on tackling climate change as part of the global effort. So how far is it actually matched in practice if one looks at the detail? Well, the UK is co-hosting this big UN climate summit uh, in November with Italy. But if it's going to take place in person, it will be in Glasgow. So the UK has been leading on this. And it set out that one of its ambitions is to keep the so-called one and a half degree target in uh, within reach. That means... um, limiting warming to no more than one and a half degrees Celsius. And we've already passed one degrees of warming. So we're at an urgent stage. As part of that, the the UK government has been encouraging countries to set targets for reaching uh, so-called net zero emissions 
by twenty uh, by the middle of this century, twenty fifty or twenty sixty, and to halve their emissions by twenty thirty compared to nineteen ninety. And so the G seven made a collective commitment to those targets, but it's missing a lot of specific details. And the big issue, and the one that potentially could uh, derail Glasgow completely, is the um, provision of um, private and public finances for the poor countries from the rich countries. Back in 2009-10, those rich countries agreed that by 2020, they would ramp up the mobilization of finance for poor countries to reach 100 billion by 2020. And it doesn't look like the rich countries have reached that target. And it now the poor countries are, are quite rightly saying, well, you guys cannot be trusted, so why should we be dealing with you? So there's a, a lot of effort required in the next few months ahead of Glasgow by the rich countries to try and ramp up the mobilisation of this finance in order to make sure that in Glasgow the poor countries are at least at the table and willing to negotiate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to, to fund this enormous energy transition uh, for uh, those countries with fewer resources. But look, just focusing in on the UK itself, I mean, we have now laws um, that limit the volume of greenhouse gases emitted over a five-year period from 2033 to 2037. The UK then would more than uh, be basically more than three quarters of the way to reaching net zero by 2050. So in context, how impressive is that commitment from government? Well, it is uh, a good leadership by the UK and it's already we've already reduced our emissions by 44 uh, percent compared to 1990, which is the benchmark. But we've done this primarily by re- um, getting rid of coal as a source of electricity. We've converted, um, uh, we've taken offline most of our coal-fired power stations and it now supplies less than 10% of electricity and we've replaced it with um, gas-fired power stations and renewables. But to get to zero means getting rid of uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases from all the other sectors and this is going to be far more difficult because it means, for instance, getting rid of gas boilers out of... uh, homes. It means um, stopping people driving petrol and diesel driven vehicles. It also means tackling uh, emissions from uh, difficult processes such as steel making and indeed from agriculture where we know that livestock produces a lot of methane which is a powerful greenhouse gas. So it's going to be very challenging but it's one I think that uh, we can uh, meet as long as the government really gets to grips with this issue. Well, yeah, but getting to grips with it at the same time you're dealing with the, uh, well, reviving the economy, really, after the worst recession in 300 years. I mean, that's a very tall order. I mean, maybe they might be given a bit of grace for for simply dealing with the immediate problem and perhaps pushing green issues slightly further down the agenda. But then I guess the time issue is crucial. Well, the G7 communique was quite clear that all of the G7 countries recognised that in order to stimulate a recovery, there's going to need to be massive investment by countries, both from the public and private sector. And if you're going to make massive investments, you should be making it in the economy of the future. And nobody thinks that fossil fuels is the future. What what these investments will do is accelerate the transition away so that we have cleaner sources of energy, that we have more uh, energy-efficient homes, that we use um, air pumps and uh, other uh, 
sources of um, heating in our homes instead of gas boilers, and that we make all the kinds of conversions across the economy. So that's a clear investment mm-hmm. program that will generate jobs and growth to drive an economic recovery whilst accelerating the transformation to a net zero economy, which is what we're going to need to do if we're going to actually tackle climate change properly. What about the communication? Um, Because it seems to me that the environment is on more voters' radars now. People understand that it is a huge issue when you look at the surveys. But do voters really get just how much radical change is going to be needed? How is the government... You know, have they made that case to people living in the UK, you know, that we'll have to stop driving cars, but also we may have to get rid of, you know, gas boilers and all sorts of other things? Yeah, uh, most people can see that climate change is already happening around us. They can see that we're having more frequent heat waves, that the rainfall is getting heavier. So everybody kind of gets that there is a problem now and it's urgent. Um, But I, I think it's quite also true that most people don't realize the scale of the impacts it will have on daily lives. Now, the Committee on Climate Change, which is the independent expert body that advises government on climate change policy, has pointed out that getting to net zero emissions by 2050 probably will be cost us maybe less than 1% of our GDP over our, our annual national income. Um, So what happens is we have to make upfront investments, but we'll make lots of savings uh, primarily by not having to spend on fossil fuels anymore. But how those costs are going to be distributed is, is the key issue. And if you're asking people, for instance, to replace their gas boilers with air source and ground source heat pumps, that's going to require an upfront investment. And a lot of people can't afford it. So the government will have to come forward with schemes to help um, Households to afford this. And in the long run, it will save us money because there'll be more efficient forms of heating and you save money over the long run. But making that upfront investment will require government help. And the government has so far bungled most of its attempts. It introduced a, a new Green Homes grant in last July's uh, summer budget and then withdrew the money in March because it simply wasn't able to implement. So government's going to try a lot, has to try a lot harder in implementing it otherwise all the householders are going to become frustrated and they find it very difficult to make the transition themselves and briefly bob i mean i suppose that the 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 cry you do hear which is uh, around is that okay you've got the g7 you've got the uk but the biggest global polluters out there are not part of that china india i suppose the most obvious examples and they uh, as long as they don't are not on board with all this what we do here is to some extent irrelevant well um we all have to tackle Uh, greenhouse gas emissions. I mean, you only stop global warming when um, all emissions around the world reach net zero. So we all have to do our bit. But the the argument that the others are not doing anything just simply isn't true. China is uh, the world's largest largest producer of greenhouse gas emissions, but it's also the largest investor in, in renewable technology and is trying desperately to phase out its reliance on coal because it recognizes as do most poor countries, that it's poor people and poor countries that are hit hardest and first by the impacts of climate change. So there's no incentive for them to drag their feet, but they will find it much more difficult to make the transition away, particularly if the rich countries do not do their fair share of helping to accelerate the transition in 
in poor yeah. countries. And that's why it was critical that the G7 um, agreed that they will no longer fund fossil fuel projects overseas, yeah. but they will only invest in renewables. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Bob Ward is Policy and Communications Director at the Grantham Research Institute on Climate Change and the Environment at the LSE. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Let's take this argument a little bit further in terms of the government's ambitions for tackling climate change and the reality. The force behind a lot of what the government is or is not doing is the Green Lobby, those who are pushing for a bigger commitment to dealing with climate change issues. Well, joining us now is the Green Alliance's Head of Green Renewal, Sam Alvis. Sam, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much for joining us. Just firstly, how impressed are you by the government's promises on tackling climate change now? So I think we've got to recognise that the UK has the most ambitious target when it comes to emissions reduction. 78% by 2030 is, is a really laudable ambition. The problem is now is that we are well off track to meeting that, both in the investment we need to get there and the, the policies that are going to help shift private organisations to get there as well. So given that, uh, is it something you think that the government needs to have nailed down specific date and time and cost-specific pledges to put in place to try and get back on track? I think that's exactly right. So alongside uh, a future target, what we need is interim targets, both at a sectoral level and an organisational level. So if you look at something like heat and buildings, we know this is still one of the biggest areas of emissions in the UK but we don't currently have a heat and building strategy. We don't have government's view of how they think they're going to install the right number of hydrogen boilers or heat pumps, how they're going to roll out the home energy efficiency we need. And without that set of regulations, without that strategy, private industry are left twiddling their thumbs, waiting to act, and without the certainty that they need to invest to move to net zero. But Sam, I suppose part of it is perhaps understandable. The past 16 months have been dominated by COVID. I mean, surely that has taken priority. Had that not happened, perhaps we would be there. Quite possibly. But what I think the COVID crisis has has reaffirmed, actually, is that there's a number of economic opportunities of doing this stuff quickly. So we know that we need to invest to make sure that the economy is growing as we come out of COVID. And we know that we need to invest to make sure that we get to net zero. So... As, we, as we're planning the recovery, as we're planning our industrial strategy post-COVID, let's make sure that the policies that we are implementing are going towards net zero 
rather than going against it. If you look at the budget in March, we announced this new super deduction, a very laudable effort to get businesses to increase their investment with 120% tax relief. The government didn't put any green strings on that. There was no reason to make that investment go towards technology that will help us get to net zero. And in actual fact, some of that spending will end up being wasted by going to outdated technology. I suppose the fact that they're chairing the COP26, uh, and of course they were chairing the uh, G7, to some extent holds the government's feet to the fire, because in international terms, uh, we are quite a long way ahead, but, but we've got to fulfil these promises in order to keep that leadership role. That's exactly right. We have a responsibility as the UK to show that this stuff works and that there's an economic advantage of moving quickly. I think many were very disappointed with the outcomes of the G7 because government was distracted when it came to climate diplomacy. We didn't have enough progress domestically beforehand, but also there were large debates around whether the North is the Northern Ireland Protocol or fights over overseas development aid, which meant that we weren't focused on the exact needs of climate in concrete commitments to increase climate finance or clear demonstrable policy at home to show that we're decarbonising. Um, do you think that the argument has been made um, to voters? People understand and can see climate change happening around them, but the uh, the transition is going to be incredibly painful for quite a lot of businesses and, and households. I mean, just look at the change in, in the road layouts in the UK as a result of COVID, but sort of tied to the green agenda and how much backlash that got. You know, how much do you think the argument has been made to voters in the UK? So I think the government has started, um, and there's been a number of initiatives, whether it's citizen juries, whether it's polling, that show actually that the public are really supportive of action. The biggest problem we have now, and it goes to the same problem that businesses are facing, is the lack of certainty, the lack of concrete, tangible measures that you can understand what net zero means for you. So that's why we need these strategies to communicate to people, OK, this is how we're going to support you to transition the heating for your home to a net zero way. This is the measures that government are going to put in place to make sure that everyone is supported through that. Here are the skills and retraining options that we're going to put forward. It's really about much more tangible communication that we've had now, because actually the rhetoric of the importance of acting on climate change, the importance of green, the economic benefits of green has been there. But now we need to make it concrete to, to help people transition. All right, Sam, thanks very much indeed. That's the Green Alliance Head of Green Renewal, Sam Alvis, speaking to us. Well, the issues he was raising there, I guess, about the ways in which business needs to learn from that are very opposite. The point at which business can say what it is they need to do and the effect. Well, the OECD sees small and medium-sized businesses as key drivers of green and inclusive growth. They create most jobs and the vast majority of businesses. But Caroline, they also have a high environmental footprint, don't they? Contributing some 60 to 70% of industrial pollution in Europe. Yes, well, the Prime Minister's encouraged SMEs to set green goals here, launch a new information hub with advice and resources to green their operations. So is this helping SMEs in Britain? Joining us now is Andy Poole, Head of Policy Research at the Federation of Small Businesses. So, Andy, how do you green SMEs? Is the government on the right path? I think I think the government's on the right path, but I think it's really important to acknowledge that net zero is, is not optional uh, or nice to do for businesses. It's actually a business critical issue, uh, and it's really important that businesses are, are not left behind. Uh, government's introduced some incredibly ambitious targets for the UK. Uh, and don't forget, we've also got an environment bill going through Parliament that contains some incredibly challenging and ambitious targets around 
recycling and waste and, and packaging. Uh, and I think the key point to take is that the UK, uh, in agreement with what the ONS said, the UK can't achieve these targets without an empowered and mobilized small business community playing their critical role. Um, but equally, if we do get it right, there are huge opportunities for small businesses in a low-carbon economy. Uh, but it's true that many will find the transition challenging. Well, Andy, I suppose on that point, we hear a lot of rhetoric, uh, obviously from the government, uh, from, from lobby groups too, but also from, from people like your members saying, oh, yes, we're doing it. And often it doesn't quite match up to the actions. Do you think, do you think they get it? I mean, has the argument been won, really, as far as SMEs are concerned? I think most businesses understand where the low-carbon economy is heading uh, and recognize that they will need to change the way they do things. Uh, it's not just government that's demanding that they do things differently. It's their customers, uh, whether they're domestic customers that they sell to directly or business customers uh, that they sell to as part of their supply chain. And I, I think most businesses want to do the right thing anyway, uh, and they're keen to play their part in the UK's journey to net zero. But Often they don't know what the right thing is. That's the problem. So what is it that they should do differently? Uh, mm. What technology should they invest in that will make the biggest difference? Uh, and what support uh, is, uh, is available? Um, small businesses are incredibly diverse. So the decisions that they're making uh, about net zero are very business specific. And what's right for one business may not work for another business. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of advice out there that what, about things they could do. Uh, but there's not much about what they should do. And I think that's the, that's the challenge. Yeah. And also it's about the speed, isn't it, of change? Um, how quickly can these businesses really adapt to what is a looming threat? I mean, is it purely also a question of resources? It, it is as well. And, and businesses need a number of things in these, these, these wider targets. And the targets are really welcome because they do provide some of that long-term certainty. So businesses need time to adapt as much as possible, and that's where these longer-term targets can help. Uh, and we've seen where that hasn't worked in, in areas like uh, the introduction of the rapid introduction of clean air zones, for example, that, that didn't really give businesses the time to adapt. So that's what we want to avoid. We want to, to know what's coming down the line. Um, and businesses also need that policy certainty to know the direction of travel, uh, to know what investments they may need to make, and to as much as possible plan their own way towards net zero. Um, and that's where a lot of them will need targeted support. Uh, and is it definitely possible to do this in a jobs positive as opposed to jobs negative way? I think it's definitely possible. Um, there Again, it, 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 the more time and the more um, support that businesses have to adapt, uh, the better in that regard. And clearly, one of the important things is that, that, that many businesses will make this transition more easily than others. And, and what we don't want to do is to get into a, a kind of dual economy of the haves and have-nots, those that are really able to take advantage of a low-carbon economy, and conversely, those that are, are not able to adapt easily uh, and end up being left behind. What does the government need to do then to help SMEs before COP26, the big kind of spotlight? I mean, is are things made easier without the red tape of the EU? I mean, that is perhaps also something the government will point to. I, I think I think the, 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 there's an issue for government in terms of the regulation. I think uh, the, the point I made earlier about businesses, that there's lots of different ways and options open to businesses to do what's right for them. 
So I think I think giving businesses the support to to, to introduce the measures that are correct for them uh, as much as possible. But the more time and certainty they get given to do that, the better. Um, as I say, businesses want to do the right thing. Uh, and it's about taking that next step, not just asking businesses to pledge. Uh, and that's a brilliant starting point uh, to get businesses engaged and signed up. But then what is it that, that governments and, and regulators want businesses to do differently? And, and what is that roadmap uh, to net zero for, for those individual businesses? Andy, thanks so much for being with us. Andy Poole there, Head of Policy Research at the Federation of Small Business. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.